We turn today to 1 John chapter 5 and read verses 9 through 13. I want to ask you a question today. What do you know for sure? 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13 answers uh, that question in a very important way. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God, does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given. Thank you for the time that you've allowed us to come to worship you. Lord, I I pray that your word would nourish us and feed us and challenge us and encourage us, remind us of Jesus, what he's done for us, and how we can know that we have eternal life. In your name we pray, amen. So what do you know for sure? I remember being asked that question many years ago, kind of like a how are you doing question, and my answer was, what do you know for sure? Oh, not much. I thought, Boy, that was not a very good answer. It would have been much better if I said, I know I have eternal life. And so if anybody ever asks me that question again, I'm ready. I'm ready to share that that answer. There are many things in life that we don't know for sure, aren't there? We don't know for sure if it's going to rain on Friday. Forecasters will give you the long-range forecast, but they can't be sure. We can't be sure of that. We don't know if our favorite team is going to win the ball game, especially if you're a Twins fan or a Vikings fan. Really, really don't know for sure of that, do you? We don't know for sure when a baby is going to be born. We just went through that with our granddaughter being born on Memorial Day. What a better day to be born, a memorable day. But, you know, doctors say, oh, you're probably not going to go to your due date. Mm, She went beyond. But we don't know for sure when a baby's going to be born. We don't know for sure where we're going to be living in a few months. So there's all kinds of things that we really don't know. Life in this world is unpredictable, isn't it? Sometimes it can be frustrating because there's things that we would like to know. We don't know. Only God knows. But there's one thing we can know for sure. And it is the most important thing of all. And John describes it in our text here. Verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So how can we know? How can we have that assurance that we have eternal life? I think we can answer that question in three ways from this passage. First of all, notice eternal life is found in a person and not in our performance. 
Ingrained in human nature is the idea that salvation is somehow based upon our own performance, our own attempt somehow to, to please God. And you will find this to be true if you ask people this question. If you were to die and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? What would you say? You know what kind of answers you get? Here's the kind of answers you get. I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Or I try to obey the golden rule. Or I go to church. Or I do the best I can. Or I try to show love to everyone. What is in common with all of these answers? It's, it's a, a works basis answer, right? There's something that I'm doing or trying to do, somehow pleasing God, human effort, hoping that there's scales in heaven, and if the good outweighs the bad, God's going to say, you better come in, I want you on my team. I mean, that's kind of the way that the world looks at it. But if you look at what our text says about eternal life, it is not found in anything that we have done. It's found in what Jesus has done. Not based on our performance, but eternal life is in a person. It's in Jesus. Verse 11, the testimony is this, that God has, notice, given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And there's a very simple statement, he who has the Son has what? Has the life. He who does not have, the Son of God does not have the life. That's pretty simple, isn't it, to understand? So do you have Jesus? If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. So eternal life is found in Jesus. And Jesus is life who has come to give us life. Listen to what Jesus himself said. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. John R. W. Stott puts it this way. He says, we cannot escape the logic. Eternal life is in God's Son and may be found nowhere else. It is as impossible to have life without having Christ as it is to have Christ without thereby having life also. This is because the Son is life. Now, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not giving us a roadmap. If you just follow these things or do these things, he's saying he is life. And we have Jesus, you have eternal life. So let me give you an illustration that may help in this. Actually, in this illustration the Bible gives, it describes salvation as a marriage relationship. Okay, those of you who are married, you understand that relationship. And those of you who are not married, you understand it as well. I mean, it's very clear. 
And I think of almost 43 years ago. Do I look that old to be married for 43 years? Yeah, there's got to be one in every every congregation, right? Yeah. I won't mention any name, but he's sitting right over there. 43 years ago in July, I stood at the altar at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Cloquet, Minnesota. My father actually performed my wedding with my wife. Now, if you ask me today if I'm married, and I said I'm trying to my hardest to be married, or if I said I'm working on it, or if I said I think so, or if I said, well, I hope so, you'd say what? You'd say, he's lost more marbles than I thought, right? This guy just doesn't get it. I know I'm married because I have a wife. I know I am saved because I have Jesus. It's as simple as that, right? So there's the question then, do you have Jesus? There was a missionary that was visiting a little boy in a hospital one day, and this missionary shared the the message of salvation in Jesus. And this little boy knew that Jesus had died on the cross for our sins, but he was brought up thinking that he needed to do the best he could to be saved. As if Jesus got him part of the way, and he had to finish it. Well, the missionary came back another day and found his face just beaming with joy. And when he was asked why he was so joyful, he said, I always knew that Jesus was necessary, but I never knew until yesterday that Jesus was enough. Think of the difference. There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is necessary. Somehow he fits into this plan of salvation because he came and died on a cross. But they don't seem to grasp that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. It is enough. What did Jesus say? It is finished. And if something is finished, you don't add to that. That's why we speak of the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So eternal life is found in a person and not in our performance. Secondly, eternal life is a present possession and not a future possibility. Many people don't think that you can know in this life that you are going to go to heaven. They say you'll find out when you die, if you made it. And to say that you know you have eternal life, in the minds of some, that is presumptuous. That is arrogant. You know why they say that? Because they are, they are this kind of thinking that, oh yeah, you think you're good enough, huh? You think you've done enough to please God. Who are you to say, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven. That is presumptuous. That is prideful. It is not prideful. If you understand what salvation is, it's in Jesus. It's not saying anything about me. It's saying something about him. Let me give you an example of this kind of thinking. It comes from a very successful mutual fund 
manager. Maybe some of you have heard his name, Bill Gross from PIMCO. He wrote this in his investment outlook in March of 2003. This is what he says. One thing that strikes me is how absorbed I was in my late 40s and early 50s with religion and the meaning of life. Nearly a decade later, in 2003, I must confide that I I am no nearer to resolving the conundrum. I don't know where I came from, and I lack certainty in where I'm going. My current faith, if it could be described as such, would be near resignation, suggesting that in the absence of certainty, the best we can do is to encircle our loved ones, display empathy and compassion to the billions that share a world with us, and hold on tight as we descend into the whirlpool. Answers, if any, await in the density of the great black hole beyond. That is a sad testimony, isn't it? I don't know where I came from. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just hoping that my works are going to make it there, right? We encircle our loved ones and we love all the billions of people on the planet. But it's like I'm heading into a deep, dark hole and I don't know what the result is going to be. You want to live that way? You want to face life that way where you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going, you have no, no assurance of, of, of heaven, just what? Crossing your fingers and hoping for the best? God's Word is very clear. That, that's not the way that we need to live. And the Apostle John makes that so clear. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And the reason we can know is because in verse 12 he says, He who has the Son, present possession, has the life, present possession. So eternal life is not something that is future, that is a possibility. Eternal life is something we possess now if we have Jesus. It is a present possession. And that's the good news. that We can know that we have eternal life. And that makes a difference in the way we live. It's a sure and steady anchor in times of trouble, times of doubt, times of fear. That's the picture that is given in Hebrews 6, chapter 6, verse 19. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Do you have that anchor for your soul? Something that is sure? Not I hope so, or I think so, or I'm doing the best I can, but... Jesus is that anchor. David Egner in Our Daily Bread said, Frank and Ted and I were fishing bluegills on Rice Lake in Ontario, Canada. We were on the pontoon boat and the fish were really biting. 
Busy baiting and hooking, we slowly became aware that the action had slacked off, and they noticed that they had drifted. And so they went back to their spot and put the anchor down and just kept drifting. And after three times, they said, okay, well, I guess this isn't going to work. And so they went back to shore. The trouble was the anchor wasn't strong enough. The anchor didn't hold. But then he applies it to salvation. He says, when it comes to our salvation, our hope is anchored in Jesus. The winds and waves of doubt, discouragement, and spiritual attack by the evil one can cause us to think that we are adrift. And salvation from God is not secure. Not so, he writes. God has given his promise that our salvation is sure. Our hope is securely fastened in Jesus, who redeemed us once and for all when he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. I am so thankful I can be sure of my salvation. Not that I never doubted. I'll tell you how those doubts are removed in a minute. That's our hope that's in in Jesus. Notice thirdly, then eternal life is based on God's word and not on our feelings. Not on our feelings. If eternal life was based on our feelings, our assurance of salvation would change like the wind because our feelings change like the wind, up and down, in and out. I remember struggling as a young person you know, being sure that I was saved, being sure that when I died I would, I would go to heaven. And I found myself kind of like based on feelings. You know, like, do I really feel forgiven? Did God really forgive? I'm not sure I, I feel that. As if there was some kind of feeling that was supposed to come. And maybe it was because when my grandfather met Jesus, he had been very burdened by his sin. And when he committed his life to the Lord, he said it was like the chains fell. Like he was bound with chains and, and the chains fell. And so I was, I was supposing there would be some kind of a dramatic emotional experience. And so I kind of wondered, you know, am I really a Christian? And I remember asking Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart repeatedly. Any of you identify with that? Just, I just want to be sure, and I just wasn't quite sure. And, but God helped me to see that my assurance of salvation is not based on my feelings. My assurance of salvation is based on the promise of God's Word. That does not change. God's Word does not change because God does not change. He is the God of truth. And whatever promise He makes will not change. In verse 9, John says that when it comes to the testimony of men, we generally accept it as true. Now, it's a bit more of a struggle in our day today, isn't it? It's like, who can you believe? But if you're in a court of law, there are two or three witnesses who saw the same event and they agree in their testimony, then we accept their testimony as true, at least beyond a reasonable doubt. That's how our system works, right? If this is how we treat the testimony of men, can't we accept the testimony of God? And John says, absolutely. Verse 9, 
If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. God's testimony is so absolutely sure that John makes quite a startling statement. He says to doubt him is to say that God is a liar. Whoa, would you call God a liar? That's quite a strong statement. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. The testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. Verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. And I thought, now that's quite a statement. So if I confess my sin to Jesus and receive him as my Savior, and then I don't believe God's word, I'm saying to God, you didn't really mean what you said. You're not telling the truth. You lied to me. That's why I said you go back to the promise of God, you stand on his word, something that does not change. And that's the basis of our assurance. One author says, unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and attributes falsehood to him. Anyone's word can be trusted. It's God's word. And so whenever I speak from this pulpit, you compare it with the word. You compare it with Scripture to check whether or not what I'm saying is true. That's what the Berean people did in the book of Acts. You trust the Word. You stand on the Word of God. When I was in seminary, I remember a class I had called Hymns and Music of the Church. Remember Don Rodbold was the choir director. He taught that class. And I remember he was going through the hymnal and, 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 and talking about songs that the music may not quite fit. Ever sang a song like that? You're singing the words. Think, Ooh, this tune. This one uh, doesn't quite fit the, the message. Well, he was talking about the hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. You know that goes? Standing, standing. And he was, <laughs> he was saying... Now, here's an example, man, where, you know, the words don't quite fit the music or the music doesn't quite fit the words. It's more like jumping on the promises, skipping on the promises, hopping on the promises. And I said, uh, Mr. Rodwald, I said, if you are standing on the promises of God, does not make you want to skip, does not make you want to jump, does not give you joy that you want to hop. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you want to look at it that way, go ahead. Standing on the promises. That's where joy comes. That's where assurance comes. And that's why salvation is such a joyful thing. To be able to know that my sins are forgiven. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Heaven's Register. And when I die, 
Like D.L. Moody says, if you read in the paper that D.L. Moody died, don't believe it. He said, I'll be more alive then than I am now. Oh, to have that assurance that when that last breath comes, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But what do you know for sure? A lot of things in this world you can't know for sure. But this is the one thing you can know for sure. The most important thing to know for sure. Be able to say, I know that I have eternal life. Father, thank you for this word, this promise, this assurance. Salvation is based on a person, upon Jesus. It is our present possession. We await the day when you come again, Lord, and we thank you for the joy of knowing you, knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that our names are written in that Lamb's book of life. Oh, Lord, thank you. May we walk in that joy day by day, for we pray in your name. Amen. Before we come